Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Oh, good. Good. Good, 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 good. Things, uh, you said you were having a slower, slower to wake time today. Well, it's all, I'm always, I'm always slow to wake. Yeah. But, uh, I've been, you know, last night was kind of a, kind of an interesting sleep journey. Oh yeah. What happened? Spent a long time just sort of surfing in and out waves of dream and memory and something on on your mind or just, uh, is that normal? Am I awake? Am I asleep? It's becoming the new normal. Um, yeah, I've got a lot. I've got a lot on my mind, but, and you know, and that's appearing, that's appearing in my dream mm. world. Mm. Um, last night I tried sleeping at a different diagonal in my bed. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was time to, time to, uh, to reorient the hypotenuse. Uh-huh. And, uh, so then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm facing over this way. Normally my head would be, you had to be here and instead it was there. Yeah. I'm, normally I'm point, I point myself in a southwesterly direction head, you know, head into the Southwest. Sure. That's last night I was headed into the Southeast. Hmm. Did that help or change anything? Cause they do say that that can, you know, that can have an effect. Not sure it helped anything, but it it yeah it was a change. I when I think about it as a child, I so I think about it in terms of as the Earth is spinning. Am I going into the future head first or feet first? <laughs> like a or breech birth or a regular birch birth? Well, well, <laughs> yeah. Or if you're like if you're if you're laying in bed like with your head facing to the north, you know you're. Your uh, your left elbow is catching the future, right? Before your right elbow. <laughs> so I always, you know, right. like what would that do to you? Well, that's a, that's an open question. But I've, I've, you know, I think I've, I vary as everybody does. You get a new place, and the room is oriented a certain way. There's only one place you can put your bed, etc. You know, for the last decade, I've been sleeping with my head to the south. Normally. Prior to that, I would have gone into the future with my head. I always was pointing my head so that my head went into the future first. Sure. Not my not my feet. You don't go to go into the future with your feet first. But now I'm sleeping with my head to the south. So so in a way, I'm upside down the entire time. I'm always I'm always like hanging by my feet. Anyway, flipped it around. Sort of swimming, swimming through the dream through the dream world. Right, sure. Why not? Keeping your head up, you know it's it's warm here, but not too hot. I don't turn. I have an air conditioner, but I don't turn it on. Really? Um, unless it's like one of those crazy days. Do you I ever try a little uh, lavender on your pillow or anything like that? No, 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 no. No, I'm I'm what you would. I, I do mean, not. That'd that be I'm, insane. Uh, it's insane. I don't think that I'm a super taster, Dan. No, you're not. But I'm on the. I'm on the I'm in the family of sensitive smellers and tasters. Yeah. And uh so things, you know, I'm the I'm the guy that can smell a dead squirrel from across the street and nobody else is bothered by it. Um and 
lavender on my pillow would be a major distraction. It would it would it would mess me up. So no, I can't do that. I have to be very careful about the about the sense of things. Yeah, I I totally understand that. Like sometimes you know, someone will put a hand cream on or something like that and you're like, "Oh my, how can they be sitting there with that hand cream on?" How do you walk around with that hand cream? Ugh, it's a rose or whatever. Ugh. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But lavender seems to be one that even for me, and I'm in the same boat as you when it comes to that kind of thing. Lavender seems okay. Lavender's all right. Well, you know, like lavender as a as a scent, like a little like a little dab of lavender, you know, behind the ear. Mm. Um I can uh I can support that. It's the uh it's like doing it intentionally to myself, putting it on my own pillow. Mm. I don't I don't I don't think it would soothe me. I think it would I think I would end up having to put that pillow in a special place. <laughs> like a closet downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Out on the street. Uh-huh. But uh but yeah, so so I think I got plenty of sleep last night and by plenty I mean you know almost 8 hours. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, something close, close to it. But I, but it was a strange. It was strange swimming, swimming through the, uh, through the pink and purple clouds of, of various adventures and uh, scenarios. I guess. So I'm a little groggy, is what I'm saying. I'm a little groggy. All right. Oh, groggier, groggier is what I mean. I'm not always groggy. I'm a little groggier. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so I had a coffee catastrophe. My, uh, I think we talked about the fact that my Keurig was breaking. Yeah, you had mentioned that no matter how what size you set it to, large size or whatever, it always does just the small. But then the next day, my trusty Toastmaster coffee grinder, which is a, which is like the cheapest little coffee grinder you can buy which i got at a drugstore um but which never failed me and you know a lot of people a lot of a lot of the, my fancy friends with their uh with their burr grinders and their you know and their i don't know how they're grinding their coffee with a leather strap and, uh-huh. a, and a who knows you know a civil war sword right the aeropress crowd um they were extremely contemptuous of my Toastmaster coffee grinder because it did it wrong somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but this thing cost me nothing at the at the drugstore, and it lasted. I mean, for twelve years, I was I, I beat the shit out of this thing. Never failed, and then one day it failed, and it happened to fail the day after the Keurig failed. So then I'm standing there not able to make normal coffee either. No Keurig coffee. I got, I have coffee. I just didn't have a way to grind it. I didn't have my dad's old manual coffee grinder. Mm-hmm. And so I, I busted into the disaster supplies. And you know, these are, are of, these are your prepper supplies that you keep in the basement in case of 
emergency or if you're off the grid or, you know, the grid goes away or some other kind of apocalypse scenario. Yeah. These are the duffel duffel bags full of apocalypse uh, scenarios. Right. Lots of scenarios in these bags. Anything could happen. If you, if you, uh, if you want to live on spam, you should check out my mom's disaster bag. Cause she thinks spam is great disaster food. When I, I took, I took a case of spam to the food bank the other day in a, in a big load of stuff. And I'm talking to the guy at the food bank and I'm like, here's all this food. Uh, but you know, a couple of these things are a little bit expired and he was like, no problem. I mean, you know, canned goods are, you know, they're good for a long, long time after their expiration date. Right. And then I pulled out this case of spam and he was like, spam on the other hand. Oh. Uh, well, uh, it's probably good 70 years after it's expiration. Really? <laughs> I said, my mom was right all along. It's the best disaster food there is. Is it because of the salt content? Oh, or? God knows. Who knows? I mean, spam is just spam. It's its own it's its own universe. Mm. But so I went into the disaster bag and I pulled out the disaster coffee. <laughs> and dis- disaster coffee <laughs> is this stuff that we buy called kava. And it's not kava kava. Okay, it's I was going to ask you that. No, it's not the kava root. It's no relation. It's this instant coffee that they've been making since the 50s or whatever. It's just normal. It's instant coffee, but it's like low acid instant coffee. And um, it is powerful stuff, Dan. It is not messing around. Kava. Kava Kava. reduced acid instant coffee. Kava coffee is a full flavored reduced acid instant coffee that has at least 50% less acid per cup than other leading instant coffee brands. Enjoy rich coffee taste without all the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Kava coffee can be enjoyed the same way that you would drink regular coffee. For a richer Just cup exactly of coffee, add creamer or enjoy it over ice for a refreshing summer drink. Yeah. No matter how play. you drink it, rest <laughs> assured that it has less acid per cup than other instant coffee brands. So relax. You can still enjoy a rich, tasty, aromatic cup of coffee without all the bitterness and acid. Relax. And the that photo a- that they have of it on the uh, kavacoffee.com website, which I'll put into our show notes, uh, it it's an impossibly full cup of coffee. I'm going to send this picture to your uh, messages app. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't understand how this is. This has to be a photoshopped cup of coffee because it's impossible to pour a cup that full. Can you see that? Yeah. Why would Why would you? It's like a. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, is what it is. <laughs> Like, what? how are you going to even get that to your mouth to sip out of it? Are you, you lap it like an animal, maybe? It's like they just colored in the inside of the cup right. with Photoshop. They just selected the whole inside of the cup and said, make it black. Yeah. Or dark brown. Yeah. Well, so Kava Instant Coffee, you know, there are a lot of instant coffees out there. Yes. And, 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 I, and I hate to be doing an ad read. Uh, that was a brilliant ad read for Kava that you just did. I'm guessing that you were just reading off of there. Yeah, I, I just read the website. Yeah. Everything uh, about this site is very circa sort of 2009. Uh, yeah, I would guess that the that the people the people behind uh, the Kava coffee here are. Um, oh well, now I'm on the I, now I'm on the website. Mm-hmm. 
Apparently, kava is produced by the J.M. Smucker Company. Like Smucker's, uh, the... Uh, like, like Smucker's. Hmm. But apparently, Smucker's also owns Folgers, Jif, Dunkin' Donuts, Crisco, Pillsbury, R.W. Knutson, Hungry Jack, I don't know what that is, Cafe Bustelo. Yeah, I know them. Martha White, True Roots, Sahale Snacks, Robin Hood, and Bix. I don't know what half of those are. They also do pet food, Meow Mix, Milk Bone, Kibbles and Bits, <laughs> Natural Balance, and Nine Lives. Yeah. So Smucker is, um, I mean, I don't understand why they would be called the Jam Smucker Company instead of Pillsbury, which is the, they own Pillsbury, but why not, why is Smucker better than Pillsbury? They should have flipped I, the script. I say it's not. <laughs> no, they should have called themselves Pillsbury and then put Smuckers underneath Pillsbury. Yeah, no, exactly. But yeah, their website is really, really basic. Uh-huh. I love it. I love it as part of the co- how they have the, in the copy. They're like, "Here's how to enjoy coffee." Right. Here's what maybe coffee put is. Some, maybe put some cream right. in it. You can make it. You can make <laughs> it taste better by putting cream in it. Yeah. <laughs> like, but cool. I swear to you, like we've had a lot of instant coffee in our lives. I've I've consumed a lot of instant coffee given given the nature of my work. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Coffee is necessary to to do to do my business, and uh, you don't always get the coffee that you want. You go to war with the coffee that you have. But kava really packs it; it really does. I served a, a cup of, co- of kava to my pal uh, Adam Pranica, who came by the other day, and he said, and he's like you know young youngish food snob type. He was like this. This is actually like good. And I said, yeah, I know. But it's not just good. It gives you a weird, weird buzz. <laughs> like a really weird buzz. A day-long buzz is what it is. You, t- you, you drink a couple of the, cup of this and, and um, you're still chewing nails at like 6 p.m. <laughs> mm. Have you ever been to – remind me. Have you ever been to South Korea? No. They have a kind of instant coffee there, and I think – I don't want to repeat myself because I'm sure I've talked about this somewhere, but it's called Maxim, M-A-X-I-M, Maxim, and they pronounce it Maxim, 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 and it has, uh, it has a red – it is a red container or bag or box with a very pretty Korean woman on it, assuming she's Korean because it's a Korean brand, and, uh, and she's sort of smiling – they also do them in yellow, but I don't know what I think. Yellow is the mild one, and yeah. red is the bold one. Maxim mild. Yeah, and so uh, I was very surprised when I went to South Korea that at and this was this was a while back. This was maybe this is maybe fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to find that they didn't. There were no Starbucks or anything like that around, and they typically. Like when you got coffee there, it was instant coffee. That that was how they went. And they would put non-dairy creamer and a ton of sugar in. And this was not just the people that I was friendly with there, but this was sort of universal. And they had coffee vending machines everywhere. Everywhere that in the U.S. that we might have a Coke machine or a water machine, they had a coffee vending machine. And it would brew the hot water for you and deposit the creamer and the Maxim and the 
sugar in it for you and you would get this thing. And, and at first when I got there, I was just sort of repulsed by the idea of not only just instant coffee, because this was at the height of my coffee uh, ridiculousness where I was like learning to roast my own beans, like in the oven on a pan. And I had the oh burr grinder like you're talking about. And I had a, a French press this is before the days of the arrow press, but I had a French press and I had a, the best espresso machine I could afford, which is not very nice. And like, I was into it. I was serious about it. I cared deeply about the coffee. So this was blasphemous to me when I got to South Korea. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Where can I get some real coffee? And like, this is real coffee. And what they sort of explained to me was that for, for them over there was a lot like the way they think of tea is like, you have hot water, you put something in it and you drink it. And that's coffee fit into that scenario perfectly if it was instant you know like you have hot water you put something in it there's your coffee now you got coffee sure uh they weren't very much you know about like the idea of brewing stuff at the time i understand that's changed but i left after uh after a couple weeks there uh i came back and I loved by that time I had been a convert. I loved it. And I, I tried my regular coffee at home. I was like, no, this is missing something. And I had to go out and buy the, <laughs> the instant stuff. <laughs> it's true that instant coffee overseas takes on a different, like uh, that's where I learned to love instant coffee was in Europe where they, you would think that you had, uh, you had the best coffee in the world in Europe, but you've got little dewy Egbert's coffee machines all over the place. And typically when you stay at somebody's little pension in the morning, you're as likely to get instant coffee as you are to get good coffee. I mean, you'll either thing is possible, but I came to, I came to really love instant coffee and I started to kind of hoard it. I was afraid that <laughs> like what would happen if I didn't have access to it. And so in situations where I could pocket a couple of extra little instant coffee packs, I would, you know, I would I'd put, put one or two inside my jacket, uh, just in case, right. You know, Who just knows? In case. Who knows? And that's, that's where the Kava disaster coffee came from because when you're putting together your disaster duffel, and you're like, oh, you know, I've got to get, I've got to have food. What happens in the end times? I need food. Yeah. You're like, yes, you do need food. But think about what, think about during the day, what is the thing? What is the thing you consume that you, that you love the most, that you need the most, mm-hmm. that you couldn't, you couldn't imagine a day without, and it is not even food. It is your your best friend, coffee. So you gotta you gotta find the way to have coffee in the future. After the you know after the gun nuts finally finally start their gun nut revolution, um, and all of the supply chains are all busted, and nobody can get any fresh fruit or vegetables anymore. I'm not gonna be sitting around drinking black tea. No, no, that's not for you. No. I'm going to be enjoying my delicious kava, <clears throat> not kava kava, but my delicious kava instant brand. Yeah, on the, on the kava page, the first question in the fact is, does kava instant coffee contain any kava herb or kava kava root? No. 
No. No. Let's be clear. I don't even know what that is. What is kava kava? It's some kind of, uh, it's some kind of non-coffee that, that actually is like, is it psychoactive? Kava kava? I think, I think it is. It's, it's like a, um, it's, it is a plant. And, uh, I think it is, it does have intoxicating effects. Um, they say it here. Here's a, the root of the plant is used to produce an entheogenic drink. New uh-huh. word for me with sedative, anesthetic, and euphoriant properties. It's wow, active that's in a, those are great words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> its active ingredients are called cavalactones. A Cochrane systematic review concluded it was likely to be more effective than placebo at treating short-term anxiety. So I guess it chills you out, relaxes you, uh-huh. and it has been deemed as presenting an acceptably low level of health risk by the World Health Organization. Seems like kind of a <clears throat> a mixed endorsement. Liver toxicity. I'm accept- acceptably low level of <laughs> what was that? <laughs> an acceptably an acceptably low level of health risk. Yeah, I'm not sure that I feel like that's, <laughs> that's not like a big endorsement of it. No, acceptably low level of health risk. Hmm. Strangely worded. Sounds to me like it presents a health risk of some kind. Yeah, maybe, or maybe how they refine it using different chemicals, it, it could it could do things. But there are kava bars, it says. Not like bars that you eat, but like places you go to drink it. In the Americas? Uh, yes, I, we actually have one here in Austin, uh, right by really? the comic shop. Yeah, I've never, I've been in it, but I've never had any kava kava. Now, <clears throat> now let's get to the bottom of that. You've been in the kava bar. Yeah. Well, I wanted to see what any- it was. I wanted to see what it was all about, and I was in the comic store, and I walked out of the comic store, and I walked into the kava store to just sort of look around. And but I and they had it- some cool artwork up there, and they had that like Austin magazine that's like the Austin local magazine, the free one. So I just got one of those, acted like I was just getting that, and sort of looked around and got out of there. So you so not curious enough to say like, what is this kava all about? I'm no. going to get a cup. No, I don't want any of that crap. Oh, interesting. Is it because it presents maybe not a health risk? <laughs> well, I didn't. I don't know what it is. I didn't feel like I needed that, and so I just got out of there. But culturally, walking in and standing in there, did it seem like it was? It was hippie? deserted. It was empty. Uh, but it it had they had a lot of artwork on the walls, and the artwork sort of needed an explanation. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like like it's not like uh-huh. a like a Renaissance painting of a of a guy with a halo. Like it was a very like someone needs to explain to me, you know, why that person has antlers and why they're being stabbed by a ghost. I see. You I know, see, that I kind see. of thing, that kind of painting. So, so I, not, uh, not a thing that inspired confidence in like, let me get some of this. Well, the painting was for sale. Okay. So, but no, I wanted to uh, leave there. It didn't look, it didn't, it wasn't enticing in the fact, like I have a rule that if, if I'm going to a restaurant or something, and it's a normal time of day when you would expect people to be in a restaurant and there aren't yeah. people in the restaurant, I won't eat at the restaurant. Uh-huh. So if I go, if it's, if it's 1230 PM and I go to a restaurant and we're the only people in there, I can't eat there. I won't eat there. You turn around. I'll leave. Because the, because the spook is on that place. Yeah. Something happened to it. If you go to that same restaurant or a restaurant at, you know, the, when they first open, 
an hour before the lunch rush, that's fine. You don't can't expect anyone to be in there then. Right. But if you go to like peak at peak time and there's no one in there, that's a bad sign. You got to get out of there. Clear out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm not kidding. I'm not even joking. I don't want to be their guinea pig and find out what they did because what that means their meat or whatever is chicken has been sitting in the uh, in the cooler for too long. Oh, the chicken in the cooler. Well, think about it. Well, sure. Have you you've worked in uh, food prep? I'm sure in I restaurant have. industry, so you know what they do. They they do. They put chicken in the cooler. Yeah, but they'll you know do, it stays it, right in, it stays in there too long. It means and then the food they don't want it to go bad, so they cook it for you past its prime. I want to go to a place that's running out of stuff. Yes, I don't want to go to a place that has an abundance of unused chicken sitting in a you know in a tin in the cooler. I want to yeah, go to a place like, where they're like you got you got the last order. Of, you know, you got the last steak we had tonight. You got the very last one. That's the kind of place I want to eat at. But if you go in and say, I would like, uh, I'd like some cooled chicken. And they're like, we're all out of cooled chicken. I don't, yeah, I don't try. Well, I'm not even going to order anything because I've, I've already left. No, no, no. But, oh, I see what you're saying. I'm not going to ask. I don't, I'm, if, I don't want to find out that that, how old that chicken was. If they're cooling the chicken, you're already done. You're right. already down the road. Yeah, I'm I out. I'm out. I get it. I like though that you went into the kava place. Yeah. Um like that that impresses me. That I just that I went in and didn't do anything? Yeah, you went in, you got you got a copy of the Austin magazine, you looked around. Yeah. Like like you want to see what's up. You want to yeah. see what's going on in your neighborhood. Yesterday it's, I was at the DMV. Yeah, I saw you posted a photo of that. And by the way, for people who are curious about it, uh, the, the place is called the square root Kava bar, I believe. Oh, nice. I think that's it. And, uh, it's spelled S Q U A R E R U T. And the U Uh-oh. has is an umlaut. Is that how I say that with the two dots over it? Yeah, that's, that's what that is. So I'm putting that in the show notes also, and you can see everything about the square root Kava bar. Oh dear, that's that the the umlaut might have kept me even from going in. No, no, it's not appropriate. We would like to thank our sponsor. It's Beachbody on Demand. I love this. I love you know. I've been really getting into the. It's this, I feel silly saying this, uh, but I really have been getting into these workouts. This is what this is what Beachbody on Demand is. It's not that you get. I want to be clear before we go into this. It's not that you get a Beachbody on demand because of course I demand to have it right now. I still don't have it, but, but the way this works is all of their content is on demand and you're working toward the beach body. So what, what am I talking about? They have these really great classes, workouts that you can watch anywhere you go on your computer, your, uh, your, your TV. If it's a web enabled, uh, TV, there's, uh, an app for your tablet, for your phone, Roku, Apple TV, Chromecast, you name it. They're on that platform. I use the Apple TV at home to do this. But they're the folks that have P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, T25. You probably heard of a bunch of these. They even do ones for yoga. They have like a three-week yoga retreat that you can do. Again, like you can do this in your home. You can do all of these workouts and get in awesome shape without having to go and buy a ton of equipment, without having to pay a ton of money for every single class. It's awesome. And the classes are really, really good. The people, the, the trainers, the um, super trainers, 
that teach these things and put these classes together really know what they're doing. And you can get a workout that's as short as 10 minutes uh, or one that, you know, that you do for, for a full hour. It's up to you. They have ones you can do with your, with your uh, kids, which is great because, you know, you always want to do fun things with your kids. I do a couple of these with my kids and it's fun. They have over a million people who are currently using Beachbody On Demand and uh, listeners of this program can get it and try it absolutely free. Uh, it's very cool. Now, if, if you're like me and you want to try one of these harder things like P90X, like I have a friend who completely transformed himself uh, on P90 and, and you can too. And that's the one that like, yeah, it's going to take some time. Like that's the real deal. But that's serious stuff. There's things in there. And the yoga retreat is a really cool one because none of us are flexible enough. We're all a little bit sore. We're all a little bit tight. We're all a little bit not stretched out. Like that's a wonderful thing to start with doesn't matter what you're looking for you can find a class that's going to work for you and so here's what you do uh you can get the special free trial membership you text the word roadwork one word roadwork with no space to 30 30 30 that's it now people you may be saying well wait a minute you don't have a website for me to go to you don't have a thing that's not how the, these guys are are old school they, they've been around for a long time and this is the system that they have for you to sign up, but it's pretty cool and it really works. This is how you do it. You get your uh, free trial membership by texting roadwork to 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. You'll get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, all the nutrition information, all the support, totally free. Uh, so go check this out. It's, it's awesome. And you will get in better shape if you do this. Text roadwork to 30, 30, 30. And thanks very much to Beachbody On Demand. We, we were at the, I was waiting in line at the DMV and my mom was there and, and my daughter was there and they were bored. Oh God, yeah. And, uh, and I said, uh, I happened to know in this mini mall where the, the DMV is, because here in, in Washington, um, there are some D, DMVs by which I mean departments of motor vehicles where you go get your tabs and your titles and so forth that are uh, run by contractors. Um, so it's not like, it's not actually a state operation. It's a, it's a, uh, yeah, somebody just throws out their shingle, they get authorized and then they're running a, they're running like a storefront DMV. And most of them feel like family operations that have been in business for 60 years. Like they still have the hand painted signs from back when, you know, big hand painted signs that are like no pipe smoking or whatever, right, right? you know, strange little, little throwbacks to, uh, to a, a long ago world where people are getting titles for their boat trailers. But in this uh, particular mini mall where this DMV is, there's also an old coin collector shop. Oh, cool. And so I said to my mom, why don't you take, uh, why don't you take the baby over to the coin collector shop and you guys can sit around and browse while I'm waiting at the DMV. And my mom gave me a look and she was like, are you serious? I'm not going to go browse in a coin shop. Who <laughs> What's so think? bad about that? Well, because she's got a certain set. She has a sense of who coin collectors are. And I said, just go down there and take a peek. So they go in <clears throat> or they go out and they come immediately back. My mom said, the place is full of old men, as I predicted, and I am definitely not going into a coin store full of old men. It's just not 
where I'm going to spend a, one second of my life. Because they'd hit on her too much. Or who knows? But, yeah. you know, she's got this idea that of coin collectors that they're a bunch of old men. And she's not 100% wrong. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so after I finished at the DMV, I said, now we're going to go into the coin shop, the three of us. And my mom was like, like hell. And I said, come on. Coin shop now. You know, you now you've made now now you're forcing me to take you into the coin shop because yeah, well, first of all, you have an escort in the form of me. But second of all, but she's never, you know, my little girl's never been in a coin shop. It's one of the places in the world. So we went in the coin shop and there were some still some old men in there. But kind of as soon as we came in, they all broke off their conversations and scattered. Like suddenly they were all gone. I don't know what that was. Maybe it was because there was a woman in the store. <laughs> they couldn't talk about coins the way they had been talking. Anyway, we walked around the coin shop and uh, showed, you know, showed the various different coins and 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 what they what they meant to me and why, and why people cared about them and why they were wrapped in plastic and what all the writing meant. And you know, my little girl is she's game. She's game to whatever. But I realized that this was that I think when I was a teenager and into collecting coins, my mom would take me to the coin shop and drop me off. She never, she may never have. So it's a lifelong thing. It sounds like. Yeah. She, I think she may have just, she, this is the thing that she decided years and years ago that she wanted nothing to do with this culture. Um, but, uh, I think just like the little the the cover root uh, store in Austin, I think everybody everybody should take their their five minutes in a coin shop. Um, and I and I feel like if I were in Austin, you know, the next time I come to Austin, I'd like you to take me there to this cover place, and, sure. and we'll uh, we'll get you know maybe we'll just get one one cup between mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Or maybe, maybe just get one cup, smell it, and 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 dump it. But and they, but I feel they, like they, it's this is the kind of place. A lot of the time, they'll just oh, they'll open the door. Now you've been to Austin. You know that our weather here, it's usually either pretty hot, kind of cold. It's very rare that we have like beautiful days. That we do have them. But, I've never been in Austin where it was kind of cold. Yeah, know. I mean, not for you kind of cold, but kind of cold for regular people. Oh, I see. Okay. Not mass homeotherms. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so they, but they'll have the door open all the time because I think they want to be like, come, come on in. Come um, right on in. Come on in because there's never anyone there. Oh, did, I, I, I have feedback. I have follow-up, I mean. Yeah. Follow-up from the, the, my friend's house. Okay, yes. Let's, All right. So, let's do. so as a reminder, in case they haven't heard the last episode recently, um, my friend's house, while, the, while my friend and his uh, family were on vacation, uh, spending a week at the beach, his central Florida home was broken into. And the way the person broke into it was by kicking a hole in the outside. That is how he then crawled into the house. He spent a hole through the plaster, through the plaster of, the of the wall, kicking his way in, kicked his way in, got into the house, kicked or cut a hole 
uh, from the, their uh, one of their kids, uh, the kid's room into the garage so that he could load stuff into their car, which he then stole. But uh, I've come to find out a little bit more before I get to the news stories about this. They did catch the guy. Uh, but what happened was he, he didn't, he wasn't just in their house briefly. He was sort of living in the house uh, for a period of days. I don't know how many days, but neighbors reported hearing very loud music coming from the house at different hours of the day and night. Um, this guy was, was living there. There was, he was smoking cigarettes. He was, you know, eating food. He was watching TV. He was, and I'm assuming sleeping in the beds. I mean, yeah. why would he sleep on the sofa? No, I bet he was just laying, he was taking baths. Yeah. Oh God. Just to think about that. Like it's one thing to like uh, the, the violation. I'm sure you, you feel it when someone breaks into your house your home, your office, whatever, and take something. But the idea that, that he wasn't just there to take stuff. Like he was there to live. He was there to spend some time. He was spending time in their house, like in that favorite cushion of the sofa that you like to sit on at night to watch your TV or read your book. Like he was there. That was his spot while you were gone. Ugh. So, um, but this guy is um, a real, a real scumbag. Um, oh, he's a bad, bad, bad man. Yeah. So here's here. I'll just read a little bit. I'll put these. There's two articles from it that I'll put if people want to read them. But I'll I'll give them the good parts out of it so they don't they don't necessarily have to. But if you're curious to see him get arrested, um, oh, this is the best. Yeah. The the cop that arrested him had a body cam on him. So the whole thing of him getting arrested and tased and everything is uh, is is on video, but it says that um, so this is last week. Uh, there was an officer that was at a the, at some gas station, and um, he saw a, they were already on the lookout for this guy because he's a rapist, right. and uh, they said as as the cop passed the guy in the store the officer noticed that the man sort of was like turning his face away from the officer. And while the guy was in the store, he ran the license plate and said, okay, this was stolen from a, during a home invasion in Miami. Uh, so he's outside the store. I guess he already called for a backup. He orders the guy to go to the ground. You can watch this video, but he says, get on, get on the ground. And then another officer comes over and tries to get the handcuffs on this guy. Hoven is the bad, the bad guy. He starts, jumps up and starts running away and they wind up tasing him twice. And, um, and so anyway, they, they got him, but he, um, he's got charges of home invasion, sexual battery, kidnapping, rape. Um, he, um, he's connected with a rape where there were, there were two women that were having a girl's night in, as it says in the article. And, uh, the man was armed with a knife, broke into their apartment raped one, kidnapped both of them, took them to a Publix to make them take money out. Uh, the women escaped. And then I guess he went on to go live in my friend's house. And so, wow. <laughs> yeah, the article is, is there. And I'm not sure if he admitted it or how they connected this or if they're, uh, how they're connecting all of this, these different crimes, but they're, they're on top of it and they're connecting them. And so, uh, but yeah, they said, uh, they're talking about uh, when they went to do the report on my friend's house. It says uh, the ha a housekeeper discovered holes in the walls of the home, which was disheveled. 
She discovered cigarette butts in several rooms and the family's 2018 Toyota Highlander was missing from the home's garage. Uh, The kitchen had been used to make food and drinks and loud music was heard coming from the home. And uh, the the neighbor says it was pretty scary to think this guy would be in our neighborhood and nobody knew it goes through your mind. What could have happened? So we're just very thankful that he stayed in the house and didn't come out until he took the car. And uh, of course, here's the worst part of it all is they, someone lived across the street and said, they didn't even know that my friend and his family were out of town. That's the spooky thing. Yeah. Right? And she says, if so, we think we would have been a little more cognizant of what was going on, but we weren't. So we felt yeah, bad you, about th- that. You've got to tell your friends that you're going out of town. You right? have to. You, gotta, you have to go across the street to the neighbors and yeah. you have to say, hey, we're going to be out of town for a week. So if any rapists kick through the back door <laughs> That's right. and, and are in there listening to loud music, it's not us. Call cops. Right. But they yeah. found they found his, their, their uh, Toyota Highlander, I guess it says Miami-Dade police found that. So he got it down south somewhere and I guess abandoned it. Who knows? But at least this guy's off the street now. Wow. Yeah, wow. I don't, it's creepy though. I don't want someone like living in my house. Well, yeah, it's I mean, not any kind of someone I any, want living in my house. Any kind of invasion of your house is a is a um, is a massive violation. In a way, I feel like, for me at least, the resolution of finding the culprit mm-hmm. uh, it. it cleared a lot of the of the bad vibe out of having my house broken into really what was so awful about it is like this is just someone you don't know will never know they were in your space they took your things and to find out like oh it's a person that was addicted to drugs and went to jail like it it just sort of it, it closes the circle and in this situation it's a bad person yeah. Who was living in your house, but he's in jail now and you can put a you can put a face to it mm-hmm. and you just kinda can go like I can see oh, that. clean up. Let's just clean up and, and throw away the sheets and and we'll uh start over. I would move. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe move, yeah. But like start over, right? I mean it's a the the, the scene of him being tased is very gratifying yes. because you know you know he's bad <laughs> and you know that he broke into Dan's friend's house. Right. And I've never, re- I, you know, I guess I've seen tasers at work, but this taser really incapacitates him. It does, you know, this is, this is one of those instances where you, where you see all the body cam photos of like black kids getting shot by cops for yeah. less. Yeah. Yes. And you go, huh, it's interesting that in this situation with this person who is like, who the cop n- knows going into it is a wanted. Right. A wanted. <laughs> right, felon, a criminal, right? <laughs> uh, that his that what he pulls out is the taser, and never res- and even when he jumps up, fights a fights off a cop, jumps up and runs, still police, tases. He just he sticks with oh, and the taser malfunctions. He still at right. a run, <laughs> recalibrates his taser and shoots again. Yeah. And you you contrast that with all those situations where it's just like some kid walking down the street and a cop goes, what are you looking at? And the kid goes, nothing. And the cop just shoots him. And you go, whoa. Uh, it's really a study in contrasts because the, those are kind of the – I mean you don't see body cam photo uh, – body cam videos of the 100,000 
traffic stops that happen today, you know, you don't just sit and watch them all and in all their mundane glory of just like, you know how fast you were going? Yes. All right. Well, here's your ticket. Have right. a nice day. Thank you. Uh, so many of those that, that if we reviewed them, we would see like, oh, most police work is, is what you would expect, like routine. But I would really like to see all the taser videos because those aren't the ones that that make it up to the top of the of the Twitter, you know, indignation froth. Um, because this this particular taser video was really like I was rooting for the taser, and he was he was on the ground just like blah, ow. Yeah, yeah. He kept saying he kept saying ow, and I was like, <laughs> goddamn right, ow. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. It's nice to see a criminal apprehended and thrown in the cooler. Yeah, and I mean he's a real he's a real uh scumbag, this guy. But it throws my whole like, oh, here's a tweaker here's a tweaker anecdote kind of into into bold. Well we don't know that he wasn't though. That's true. That's true. He does seem like also a tweaker. Yeah, I wouldn't um, rule that out. Yeah. yeah. I mean it, it it but the whole thing for me is like it, was he was he casing out the house yeah. was he was he because it's some like i was saying before the, your tweaker explanation it did kind of explain why he felt comfortable enough to sort of hang out in the house but this went beyond that he was living there he was full-on living there well what if they came back how did he know they weren't going to come back like you said you're like you know if he did it in the middle of the night and nobody's home then you don't have to worry that someone's going to just walk in. If, if it's the middle of the night, nobody's home. It's obvious there are children there. This is quoting you. And they're not going to be coming back home at 2 a.m. with children. That's correct. But right. how did he know they wouldn't be back the next morning or the, that evening? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how do you not, how are you comfortable enough that you can sort of just be living there? And what happened if they had come back? Would he have killed them? Yeah. You know, those are all, those are all very good questions. Valid questions. If he's sleeping on the, in the bed and somebody walks in, like what's, what happens next? Pretty scary. Pretty, pretty, pretty sketchy. Yeah. I don't like anything about it. You know, they're so, um, we, we live in a bubble of normalcy Mm -hmm. so much of the time. And our expectations are that other people are going to behave, uh, like in ways that are dependable and, and, um, and, and because 99% of the time that's true, it's super hard to remain vigilant against the 1% of the time where you are dealing with somebody that is, um, that's not, I saw a, uh, I saw a little video, little, uh, gif of, um, the dog whisperer. What's his name? Dog. I, I know the guy you mean. Um, uh, he's got the TV show where he calms, calms down unmanageable dogs and teaches owners how to make their dogs calm, submissive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 my, my sister was a big fan of this show uh, that he is. A, he's a diminutive. Oh, it's Caesar Milan. Caesar Milan. Small of stature. Caesar's way.com. And uh, this was a video of, of this, you know, it just sort of seemed like a, like a mild-mannered golden retriever, normal-looking mm-hmm. normal golden retriever with just kind of a look of concern on its face. But the, the style of look of concern that a golden retriever might get 
that you had a squeaky toy that was squeaking and the dog was like curious and Caesar Milan is there and he's, he's in his normal position, crouched down with his hand out for the dog to smell. And the dog kind of is looking around and I think probably stressed out by the camera crew. That's probably also there. But all of a sudden he turns on Caesar Milan's hand and just bites it like 50 times. Mm. Just like, rah, 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 my God. And, um, and you know, Caesar Milan is, like famous for knowing what a dog is signaling. Right. And he just did not, he was, you know, he was doing his Caesar Milan thing. He wasn't acting. I think he, I think right as the dog bites him, he kind of leans, puts his hand a little bit forward, like here, you know, smell my hand and the dog just loses it. And you go, Oh, even in the case of, even in a case of damaged dogs who are, who are mentally ill, um, there's always going to be one that even Caesar Milan isn't going to know. Yeah. Is just like either was so close to the, to the breaking point or the alternative is has no, there is no, um, border ground between mm-hmm. normal and breaking point, like maybe always at breaking point. But you know, you go through life, you're just walking down the street and at any point somebody could flip out and, I mean, there's nothing keeping us from – there's nothing keeping anybody from just like killing you at any moment, any any interaction you're having with another person. It's not impossible to imagine. Right. I remember when – I was reading a book in the 80s about a a Russian fighter pilot who defected with his jet to the United States. This was the kind of thing that – I loved as a teenager. Yeah. Defecting the Russian defecting with the top secret jet. And then now that he's an American, he has no experience of America, but he's a high value, um, defector, but having defected and brought the jet and been debriefed, he no longer has any additional value, right? The Russians know he's here, right? They, the, the Americans get everything they can out of him. He's, he's happy to volunteer it and then, but he can't go home. So then they're like, well, now we got to put you up in a house and give you some stuff to do, I guess, give you some, (laughs) give you a job and a new identity. And, and so now you're just a cost to us. Um, maybe the jet that you brought us is, is worth enough that we're willing to, give you a middle-class life for the next 20 years in exchange for it. But it seems like, uh, it seems like pretty long tail of obligation for, right. yeah. for this. But so he wrote this book and he recounts standing on a highway overpass at one point and watching the freeway traffic moving in both directions and saying to his American handler, who keeps all these people from just going wherever they want. And the American handler said, nothing They're They could all just go do whatever they want. And it was just unfathomable to him that you could just set all these people free like this to what if they all just wanted to not go to work tomorrow and just drive to, <laughs> wherever they want it. Sure. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and 
what what you can't know coming from an authoritarian place is, well, all these people, each one individually feels super bound by their credit card debt, right, and their obligation to their you know their mortgage and their and their wife's mother and all these other obligations. You know, it's it, just because there's not a, a like a, a mass authoritarianism doesn't mean we're not all surrounded by by petite authoritarians that keep us on the straight and narrow. But but um, but I, I sometimes have that same feeling walking around, which is like what keeps everybody from just like losing it. <laughs> well, I wonder the same thing. And, Except about myself. You know, the answer is nothing. Yeah. Nothing keeps everybody from losing it. And we feel, we feel like, uh, culturally right now, I feel more on the, that there are more people on the edge of losing it now than at any other time in my life. Just like, just losing it. Some little, little provocation. Um, you keep hearing reports of people just like coming unglued. That's and it's not coming unglued and shooting up a post office. It's just like just coming unglued and shouting at people in a post office mm-hmm. about something about immigration or about whatever the man. And it's like, right, right. This guy, this guy that broke into Dan's friend's house is just a bad criminal. But, but it also suggests, uh, you know, like it just it just reminds me that the that the thread is so tenuous Mm. and, 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 and and it never used to feel that way. It always felt like we were, we were bound together with ropes, the ropes of, of our mores and expectations. Mm -hmm. And now it just feels like gossamer. What, what, uh, what do, you know, what are the ropes that we share? I guess it's a, I guess the, for them to truly work as as um, as like social glue, we have to we have to. One person has to bring one side of the epoxy, and the other person has to bring the other side of the epoxy. Mm-hmm. And if you if you show up with your half of the epoxy, and the other person's just like pulling tissue out of a tissue box and throwing it at you, <laughs> one sheet at a time, <laughs> you're like that's not going to glue us together. I mean, it's not hurting me, but it also isn't helping mm-hmm. glue the, you know, bind us as members of the same town and and neighborhood. I feel like my my across the street neighbors have broken the social bond that they had with me by buying two dogs and putting them in a cage at the far end of their property where the dogs just pee on themselves and I mean, they're pit bulls and bark mm. 22 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And for 10 years, these neighbors and I have lived within a hundred yards of one another or a hundred meters for our international listeners. <laughs> and we have maintained a friendly neighborly cordiality, which has never really extended to speaking to one another more than about 10 words, 10 words a year. Mm-hmm. Hey, how are you? Good. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. But 
we pass each other every day and there's always a smile and a wave. And when, you know, when other neighbors would complain about things, I would say, well, you know, the neighbors on the corner are great. They just hold everything together. It seems like, and everybody would kind of go, Hmm. Yeah, I guess there are a lot of people over there at that house. And they, I think they run a car repair business out of the back, out of their really? back. Is that legal 40. for them to do? No, it's not legal, but you know, they're, but it's not noisy. It's not. The only thing it does is add some extra cars to the street. But my, I live in a neighborhood where, where there are plenty of houses that have seven cars parked out front. You know, as the city gets busier and more and more people move in, the, the, um, you know, the story of, of neighborhoods that are close into town is that they gentrify. What, what happens in neighborhoods that are further away from town like mine is that just more people move in. There's not a – nothing's gentrifying really. Or right. I mean it is happening but it's not like people buy an old house and fix it up as much as it is. A new family moves into the house but the old family didn't move out. A new family moved into the house also. So there are lots of houses that have seven cars in the in the front. And this house across the street has, let's say, 12 cars on the property. But they have a big fence. The house, the cars are behind the fence. It does it's and you don't hear you don't hear tools during the day. It's never been a problem, let's just say that. And their little girls, they have a lot of little girls at the house, and their little girls scream in a blood curdling way. Why? That when my when my daughter was little, and she screamed, I said, sweetheart, a little girl screaming is a thing that we disincentivize in our family. A little girl laughing, there is no sweeter sound. All right. But a little girl screaming at the top of her little lungs <laughs> in a way that, that would bring migrating birds down out of the sky, that is a sound that we're going to try to modify into a different sound or maybe no comparable sound. But the little girls across the street are, are perhaps being raised in a, in a culture where little girls are treasured such that when they let out blood curdling screams, <laughs> that it's okay that you just say it's, it's all right. Long as a part of their play, uh, the people in the family go, isn't that darling? I think that that often happens when kids do things that are, that other people would describe as terrible. Um, their family thinks that it's darling. This is true of dogs too. Hey, your dog is misbehaving. Oh, isn't she sweet? No, in fact, she's not. She is misbehaving. She is causing a problem for others. Oh, she's just blah, blah, blah. She's just hungry or sad or she's just being cute or she just wants attention. No, you're wrong. She's a dog. She wants none of those things. She needs to be trained by their owner, her owner. I feel somewhat the same way about kids. But the screaming little girls never really bothered me that much because, oh, little girls. I have a... I also have a soft spot for them, and although I don't like them blood-curdlingly screaming, yeah. I, I do like the sound of children having fun. Anyway, for ten years we've had a, we've had a bond, a neighborly bond, a northwestern-style neighborly bond. I think maybe there are places in the, in the south. Do you think they would describe it also as a bond? 
No. No. I well, who knows? I think that they would have described me as a friendly neighbor. But like if we lived in Alabama, the fact that we lived a hundred meters from one another and never really spoke or exchanged, there was no exchange of pie, um, maybe would seem to a Southern listener to be not very neighborly. But, you know, as I've said before, my neighborhood has the um, most, it's the most diverse, diverse uh, zip code in America. And what that means is that a lot of my neighbors are uh, don't speak English or speak it only a little. And yet they don't all speak the same language with one another either. So because everybody, it's very polyglot down here. So the neighbors just aren't, we don't have the kind of block party vibe. And also the Northwest just isn't like that. We're a little bit, we're a little bit standoffish here. But in a friendly way, very friendly standoffishness. Hi. Happy Christmas. Bye. <laughs> you know, like there's not a ton of like, come on over. Anyway, so they got these dogs and uh, and it's just like the whole castle came crashing down. And it became apparent that, oh, they think that they are – that they are living on their property and that that is a space station and the rest of us are just uh, the vacuum of space right. or something. Right. Um, a total ignorance of, uh, of the fact that there is a rest of the world out there. Yeah. No, like a, uh, like either a kind of inconsiderateness that uh, it's a kind of inconsiderateness that I can't get my head around. No, I'm totally 1000% with you. Yeah. I just don't understand. I don't, I wasn't raised that way. I was raised to always be thinking about how my, uh, and I'm talking about in social interaction right. with strangers, especially um, how my behavior is impacting them. That's see, I'm, I am exactly the same way that you are. I don't know if there's something my mom taught me as a kid or what, but my goal is that, uh, that I don't want my no neighbors to hear any sound that I'm making or to right. see anything that I'm doing because right. I don't want to hear their sounds and I don't want to see them unless we're getting together for a friendly neighborhood thing. I don't, right. I don't want the neighbors to know other than perhaps an indoor light is on or the light in the front of the house. I, I've had so many neighbors who will, they have those sort of floodlight things on their backyard. I don't know why they have them other than for security purposes, but they, they turn them on and they just leave them on and they'll be on for many hours, sometimes all night, sometimes all night and all day the next day, their cars will come and go, but they're just the lights on and they don't, they don't think maybe this floodlight is shining into, and I'm not the only, you know, I can see that their floodlight shines like into one of the bedroom windows of the other neighbor's house. They probably don't like that. Why are they doing it? They're not out there. Do they think that it's making their house safer? Maybe. They must. Maybe. They must, yeah. uh, but, you know, it's that, it's that kind of thing. And, but then it'll be off and it'll be off for weeks at a time. And then it'll be on again for two or three days. It's like puzzling. And they're home. They're home for all of this. 
Uh, and, th- you know, if that's the least, the biggest thing I have to complain about, I'm very happy about it because I've had neighbors that I lived across the street from a house that was occupied. It was a very, very old beat up house that should have been condemned three stories tall, falling apart. And it was full of full, just full of people. They probably had 20 people living there and um, and they would play. At nighttime, all uh, each Friday night, Saturday night, sometimes Sunday night, and sometimes during the week too, until the very wee hours in the morning, they would play. I I don't know what what it is, but there is a kind of music that is. It sounds like polka, polka music, but the yeah. it's Spanish spoken language singing with the in the polka music. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that a thing? Yes, it's called Mexican music. Okay. Well, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And they would play that starting. There's an interesting story about that, actually. You know, the polka music being a kind of Polish, Eastern European style that that became popular in Mexico. I'll 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 tell that story on on a future episode. I want to hear it. But so they would they would be playing this music well into the into the night and so you know, like i'm not going to say that i'm incredibly tolerant of that kind of thing i'm not i think it's incredibly ignorant rude disrespectful you know my wife and i both worked and the other people on the street were regular houses with working people many of whom had kids and we all dislike this. So periodically someone, whether it was me or someone else, would eventually it'd be like, okay, it's 2 a.m. Let's wrap <laughs> this up. Put the bonfire out that was in your front yard and and go to sleep already. And at some point, somebody would inevitably wind up just calling the police and saying, there's a noise disturbance. I would say three out of 10 times, three out of 10 times, they would arrest somebody. Not because they were doing something wrong then, but because there was a warrant out. Right. And they, they like, oh, we got a noise call. But guess what? One of these guys that was sitting out here, actually, he there's a warrant for him. Yes. Um, and like it really sucked because like it ruined the whole experience of living in this neighborhood for not just us, but for lots and lots of people. And I, it, you know, and then they would do the other thing because they. Again, like, I don't want to, like, perpetuate stereotypes. I feel bad about it. But, like, they worked, all the guys there work construction. And so there would be some beat-up El Camino that would pull up at 6.30 in the morning. Beep, beep. (laughs) Beep, beep. And it's like whoever made it down to the car in the next 10 minutes of beeping would get to go work construction that day. And how did I know it was construction? Because they had construction hats on and they wore workman boots and they had paint rollers in the back and ladders. And like, that's what they were going to do. And like every morning, I don't know how they went from the music at two in the morning to six 30 in the morning to go work construction, but they did it. And like the idea that this was just, this was just okay. This was just okay for them. That there was, it never was like, You know, I almost would have respected it if they would have been like, screw you, neighbors. We don't care about you. We're doing this. Screw you. Middle finger. Like, I would have I would have hated it, but I would have had some respect. They were just oblivious. It was just we're just doing what we want to do. And I've I almost was a little bit envious of that because I can't do that, John. 
I can't do that. I want to sometimes, but I like I can't bring myself to do something when I know that it's going to bother somebody else. I'm like, I just, I can't do it. I'll use a different bathroom in the house at night so I don't flush the toilet right by my kid's room at night. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, that's my kid and I love them. But still, like, I'm not, I don't even want to take the chance. They'd probably sleep through it. But I'm just being considerate. I would never in a million years think of doing something like that. Never in a million years. Even in college, when I had a guitar and an amplifier, I would turn that thing down super low or I would use headphones. Because even back as an idiot college student, I was like so programmed into me not to do it that like I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. No, what's wrong with me? We would like to thank Brooke Linen. These are the folks who make the really great sheets. And you know, here's the thing. I don't know about you guys, but where I live in Texas here in Austin, it can get pretty warm. It gets get it can get kind of hot, actually. And we have air conditioning. Air conditioning is running, but still, have you ever had one of those nights where you like get caught up in your sheets, like for some reason, probably because you're not comfortable and you're tossing and turning, you wind up like, and then you like wind up like waking up and you're like, why am I sweating through my shirt? It's the sheets. That's why you're doing it because your sheets are crap. You need better sheets. Brooklinen makes the best, most comfortable sheets without any big markup. This is going to, you're going to get better sleep. You're going to feel more rested. You're not going to get all tangled up and all sweaty, I'm telling you, it makes a big difference. And here's the thing, most sheets, most bedding, it's being marked up as much as 300%. And uh, the, the couple who started uh, Brooklinen said, that's not necessary. We can get these amazing sheets out to you without that crazy markup. But they're going to be super high quality sheets. They just won this best of online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. They've got tons of colors and patterns you can mix and match. So it'll match with your current decor. This is luxury bedding underpriced. And you really need to check them out. I'm telling you, the next, you, you don't know, you look at your sheets, they probably don't fit the bed that you have anymore. They're shrinking, they're wearing out. Come on. You could do better for yourself than that. Life is too short to sleep on crummy sheets. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer for these awesome sheets. It's Brook, B-R-O-O-K, Linen, L-I-N-E-N, Brooklinen.com. Just for listeners to this program, you're going to get $20 off and free shipping when you use the promo code ROADWORK at Brooklinen.com. And they're so confident that you're going to love these sheets. They offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on their sheets and comforters. That's a big deal. You don't like it, just return it. But you're going to like it. You're going to love it. And remember, the only way to get this 20 bucks off and free shipping is to use a promo code ROADWORK at brooklinen.com. B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N, brooklinen.com, promo code ROADWORK. Thanks to Brooklinen for supporting this program. I lived in an apartment one time where the there were a couple of twin girls who lived upstairs. And I think that we were uh we were probably I mean not noisy, but we we were drunks. Uh-huh. And so 
you know, and there were three of us living there and we always had three other people crashing there at any given moment. But they became so sensitized to the noise that mm. I remember I was sitting in my bedroom and not late at night, nine o'clock at night, playing an electric guitar that was not plugged in. Mm-hmm. And not an, not an electric acoustic, not a hollow body guitar, but a Gibson SG. Right. That was a great the, guitar. Yeah. The sound of which unamplified, um, if you were sitting across the room from me, it would sound like plink, 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 plink. And the girl upstairs would stomp on the floor if I started to play this like plinkety plink. And it was testament to how badly the building was insulated. But also, but it was an old building. It's not like it was made out of paper. Um, and it was, it was infuriating because she was, she had become a jerk, right? We had, we had, um, we'd driven them to madness with our various other, the fact that it, I'm sure it always smelled like marijuana smoke and, and, you know, I, they must have been so tired of listening to Bismarck key, uh, <laughs> that they were, they had reached the end of their rope. But I was really inhibited by this, by the prospect that this girl could hear my, my very lightly right. strummed, completely unamplified guitar. Right. And, uh, it was one of the great, it was one of the great things about, about moving into a house. And I am so conscious of, of never, hopefully never intruding upon my neighbor's consciousness at all. Right. I, pl- I planted bushes all around my house precisely so that people could not look in and that I could be in my yard and be, be not seen. But I would never take a stereo out in my yard even. On the warmest summer day, I would not, I would not be playing Brian Adams on a boombox in my yard, first of all, because I wouldn't be playing Brian Adams at all. But second, because I guess my desire to hear music in my yard does not trump my desire to not have my neighbors hear my music in their yard. And I don't know. I don't, I mean, I think I'm probably an exaggerated case. Maybe you are too. And there is a comfortable place in normal human life where you can be in your yard with a boombox listening to your music and your neighbors can hear it and everybody's fine. Right. Uh, where that you, where your next door neighbors either like the music you like or are playing their own music or something. But you know that I think, I think in most cases like that, the person playing the music says it's not illegal to play music or something, you know, like right. their justification is that like, I have a right to play my music on my property. Right. That's their mentality rather than, well, okay, you have a right to, but is that really how you're living? Like you're asserting your legal right to play your music even if it irritates your neighbor? Even if you don't like your neighbor, why would you, why would you be happy or even comfortable? Right causing them distress. I just don't understand. And in particular, these people across the street, cause I've, I've communicated with them about their dog and they're just like, I have a right to own a dog and 
and frankly, the legal process, although you cannot have a dog bark all night, the, the city of Seattle has bit bigger fish to fry, right? There's not a, there's not a dedicated two officer team who drives around Seattle citing people for barking dogs right. in the middle of the night, right? And so there's this elaborate process. Like you have to document the the source of the noise. You have to submit that to an office. You wait for up to a month or or six weeks. If you haven't heard from the office by that time, submit it again. Then, you know, like it's it's a it's a six month long process before you would get a police officer out here <laughs> right. to knock on the door and say, um, we've had some complaints about the noise. And the, I mean, and I suppose if I were somebody that was like dialing 911 in the middle of the night, but come on. No, there's a separate, usually there's a separate police number that's for not emergencies where, yeah. you know, you just call them. And they're like, yes. And you say, this is the thing. They're like, okay, we'll send someone out. Yeah, you also don't want to be one of those people that's calling nine one one about your neighbor's barking dog. No, but you know it's a it's a thing where the covenant between us is broken, Dan. It's severed permanently. I do not nod at them or wave or smile now because of the blood curdling screams. No, no, no. I love the blood curdling screams. Those little girls have all grown up there in high school now, and oh. every once in a while, one of them screams. Um, and it's a it's a thing where it occurred to me at a certain point when they were. 10 to say to them, you know, that that scream is indistinguishable from a scream of pain or distress. And I know you're giggling because somebody splashed some water on you and that's your response. But some, you, you need to understand to calibrate that sound <laughs> because it's a, it's a little boy who cried wolf scenario. If you were in trouble over here, I would ignore it because I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You could be over here in real trouble screaming for help, but you scream for help here. Like it's not just blood curdling scream. They're over there behind their fence going, help, help, help. <laughs> and it's just that, you know, that their little brother is uh, doing something, right. you know, and not even anything, not even as bad as squirting water on them. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a conversation I think I wanted to have with them at a certain age, but then there was the problem of strange neighbor talking to daughters, like pulling right. the daughters aside and saying, Hey, here's a, here's a hot tip. Don't scream like that. So now they're in high school and every once in a while, one of them screams like that. And I just go, well, I hope you're not in trouble because <laughs> I wouldn't. Right. I'm not coming. I wouldn't know. I honestly wouldn't know how to tell the difference. Um, there is no way they could scream. There's no way they could be in pain or distress and scream any louder or crazier than they already have. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, if they were back there going, I'm serious, help, I'm serious. I would still be like, I've heard it before. I've right. heard it before. And it turns out that your brother was trying to like take your, take a Tootsie roll from your bag. Mm-hmm. But no, so there's no friendliness left between me and them. And it's a, and it, for me, it's a tragedy. It's been 10, 11 years of, of, of like good, good neighborliness. And now the, the rope that bound us, the epoxy that I felt like we had both been bringing our halves 
it turns out to be um, it turns out that they didn't ever feel that way, I guess. Uh, and it was just luck that w- that they were minding their business and I was minding mine and and it never, you know, they had a rooster, which I thought was rude and also is against the law in the city. Mm. But I kind of let the rooster slide because I feel like, well, you know, they're from Mexico and <laughs> the rooster has a sim- symbolic importance. And also, <laughs> you know, maybe they're, maybe they have a, a, they're getting a lot of eggs from the chickens and you don't need a rooster, right? A rooster is not a thing you need. So it's a thing that you keep because you, because it means something to you. And so I was like, yeah, all right. I mean, I, the, the rooster was an irritation, but I got used to it, but you just can't get used to, a, to two barking pit bulls. No. There's no way your ear no, ever. Never. You never, a, a, and this is another reason why I have never owned a dog and will never own a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as long as I live, nor will anyone who lives with me, uh, because at the end of the day, dogs make noise. They do. And uh, unless, unless I'm on 50 acres and the people who live near me on those 50 acres also have 50 acres and their houses are at the center of those 50 acres, I will never have any kind of animal that could displace somebody else's enjoyment of their life. And right. dogs always do this. The best, most well-behaved dogs still periodically bark and crap on your neighbor's lawn. Even the best of dogs will do that. And it's just dogs just make noise. They just do. Unless you get one of those weird barkless dogs, that would be better. A barkless dog. Yeah. Yeah. But they just, they make noise and they're, uh, and, and generally speaking, owners of the dogs are not, uh, Caesar, the dog whisperer. They're people who say, oh yeah, I think that was a dog barking. Better go check and see if it needs to come in. No, 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 no. The dog should never be outside of your house unattended ever. Unless you have 50 acres and your neighbors also have 50 acres. That's, that's where I would draw the line on that. Maybe you have a, a sheep dog that's actually doing work that needs to be outside. That's fine. But what happens is people say, wouldn't it be fun? I love dogs. Let's get a dog. Let's bring a dog. Let's have one. The kids would love it to protect the house. Mm, And and then what happens is that the dog's outside in the backyard barking all day. Oh, we don't want that. The dog needs activity. It doesn't want to be cooped up in the house all day. It needs needs fresh air. It's an animal. Mm. So it's just, we just let it out. It barks a little. Well, that's what dogs do. I had a neighbor, their dog, uh, they would let the dog out about 630 in the morning when it would start barking. And it was, (laughs) it was in a state of very high anxiety, this dog all the time. Because it was not clear to the dog, as it was not clear to me, uh, that anyone else ran the family except the dog. The dog yes. had to take leadership in the family because the the mom who lived there was a um, you know would never think of disciplining her baby, the dog. No, no, and no, no, the no. husband wanted nothing to do with the dog, and it had no interaction with it whatsoever except being angry at his wife. Uh-huh. So the dog would begin barking at 630. It would bark any time that we dared to go outside of our own home. 
and uh, it would it would bark continuously on and off throughout the day. If a car drove by, it would bark, and the bark was this um, very you know some dogs bark in a way where you feel like they're guarding something. They're like warning you not to come by. But this dog was in a state of of high what I would describe as high anxiety at all times, and its bark was sort of a pinched. And this was like a like a, what do they call it, a golden lab type type dog, and its bark was always. That was its bark all day long. <laughs> and uh, which is a, to me, that's a very anxious kind of a, uh, uh-huh. what, what, huh, what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, it was horrible. I hated it. And uh, eventually I got fed up. And so I would talk to the, the guy about it. And he's like, I'm just my, you know, it's my dog. It's not much I can do. I'm like, yeah, could could you just not leave it like tied up on a rope all day long, all day long, every day? But they never wanted to change it because that would involve, you know, doing, doing some work. Well, the kids love the dog so much. I'm like, why don't they spend time with it in the house then? They're never outside. <laughs> and, uh, and eventually the thing got off its, off its leash and was struck by a car. And I was like, you know, that's, I'm sorry that it got hurt, but like maybe, maybe it was just, you know, this will be something that helps quiet it down. And uh, for a while, they were like, well, we're not sure if she's going to make it or not. And she like broke her leg and her pelvis and her spine and everything. I'm like, well, that's really sad. Like, I never wanted the dog to like suffer. I just wanted it to not make noise anymore. Right. You know, so but then it came back to its full self. It was back. It was back. <laughs> it fully healed and lived out the rest of its life there. And um you know, did not, I guess later it died, but it was just, and it's like, I, the idea of knowing it's not like, it's not like they didn't know it bothered us as a whole family. The three of us living there, like I was very polite about it and told them like that this is really a problem. Like it wakes our whole family up in the morning when you let it out because it's standing right outside our window barking in our bedroom window, like directly three feet from it. I'm like it they knew it was a problem and they just they just continued to do nothing about it. And that's the part like I can even go so far as to say that like if they don't know that it's bothering you and they're just being irresponsible, ignorant fools, but to know that it bothers you and to keep doing it. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. That's the part that just I can't wrap my head around it. I can't wrap my head around it, you know? I mean, hopefully all of the work that we've done in the podcasting realm has at least gotten inside the heads of some young people who one day will have children. I hope so. And they will teach those children to keep moving and get out of the way and yeah. to not bother their neighbors yeah. and to be polite and tip their hat when they come across <laughs> them walking through the countryside <laughs> right? and to pull right when they're driving. All these things, all these things that we were, that we were, um, I mean, it wasn't like it was beaten into us. It was just the way. And it was, I guess, based on the assumption that, well, uh, the correct assumption that this is how you live in civilization with other people. One of the amazing things about walking through the Netherlands for mm. me is that the the Dutch are have a very, very, um, very, very complicated and fairly strict sense of community standards Mm -hmm. and they are you know they're renowned for being um 
a permissive society or a freewheeling society as it regards prostitution and drugs and so forth. But it is not that that does not actually reflect the Dutch inner life. You know, they are they are uh, they are permissive because they believe it is logical to be. But they don't they do not live like do what you want at all. Mm -hmm. They um, they adhere to uh, to standards and codes and expectations of how you behave. And so walking through like a Dutch town, a small town, but it's true in the big towns too. There's a kind of, and I, I may have talked about it before, but there's a sort of tableau of the front of a Dutch house and the expectation, as far as I can, under, as far as I can tell, I don't, I'm not inside their mind enough as, as desperately as I have tried to get inside the Dutch head. I, I just can't get all the way in there. But the tableau is the front window of the house. There are lace curtains. You can see into the house, but not deeply into the house. You never can see, you never walk past a Dutch house and look in and there's mom and the kids and the lights are all on and they're working at the kitchen table. You know, you look in and there's lace. You see a kind of, it's a, it's framed in lace. Mm -hmm. And there on the front windowsill, there are little Delft figures, little, little windmills and cute. little, little people, little cute things, right? But arranged, not a, not a chaos of them. Just a little selection of them. And house after house after house is this way. And it communicates this like simultaneously. Our house is open and light and airy and mm. we have nothing at all to hide. Right. So keep moving. Like move along. There's mm -hmm. also nothing to see. Right. We have nothing to hide, but there is nothing to see. And it's extremely effective. You know, that because you don't have any desire to like peer in because you kind of know what you're going to see. Right. You know, you're going to see some little Delft windmills. Um, and, and I feel like that, I feel like, you know, because the Netherlands are a, it's a small country and until recently was a fairly homogenous culture that you still have these, this sort of like strange community standard that it, that you would never notice unless you were looking for it. And that was, that had to have been true in the United States of the mid 20th century, right? Like if you went to some little town in Iowa, everybody was practicing a, a sort of community standard, whatever that was. And Seattle very definitely had community standards. Like here we had blue laws. You, you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays or after I forget what it was after 5 PM or something like that. You, if you went into a bar, the bar also had to have a restaurant connected to it. Otherwise it could only be a tavern. There were all kinds of rules around consuming alcohol, uh, and food here that made it, that was just sort of like nanny state. Um, and those laws were in effect until, uh, very recently. A lot, a lot of them, a lot of them were like the liquor stores were all state run mm -hmm. until just a few years ago. 
That's interesting. Costco spent millions of dollars to get the right to sell alcohol. And somebody did a cost analysis of it and realized that um, even if Costco sold all of the liquor, they would never make back the money that they'd spent really lobbying the state to overturn that ban. It was just symbolic for them. Um, but you know, they, now you can get boot, you know, you can get booze other places. We, we have Costco to thank for that. But yeah, the, the, the idea that the idea that I would be, that, that we would look toward the future and see somehow that our desire to be free, our desire to be unencumbered has led us to a place where we interpret that to mean that we no longer have obligations to our friends and neighbors to behave in a way that makes that, that, that doesn't intrude on them. It's the, you know, it's the classic American 21st century story. My freedom, nothing can intrude upon my freedom. I have a right to do these things and that my freedom is sacrosanct. And if it bothers you, if my freedom bothers you, that's your problem. And to have arrived at a place where that is, that was our ambition. That was our goal this whole time. That was the that was what we were building all these years mm-hmm. was a situation where you just get to be the you just get to act like an animal. Um, that's what that's what freedom means to you. And, you know, and I, I, I know I've gone on the record feeling this way about casual Fridays <laughs> and that that, uh, that in a way that was the beginning of the end. And I get a lot of angry letters from people that are like, my elastic waistband makes my workday a lot easier. And it's like, fuck you, your elastic waistband. Um, like I get to take, uh, I have a right to take my, sh- my sandals off on an airplane because no, I need to, no, no, no. I need to air out my wet feet or whatever. Fuck you. And, you know, and there's just so many places in the world right now where, the macro scale problems that we're experiencing, uh, you can connect to these micro scale problems mm-hmm. where it's like, and I hate, I hate to, it's almost comical and it may be comically in character of me to say mm-hmm. that the day that you could wear flip flops on an airplane was the beginning of the end of civilization. Right. But the, the, it's not, it's not unrelated no, it isn't. And why would it even occur to someone that that's an option? Like there's so much densely packed mistakes or what, what, whatever it is that leads you leads a person to think that that's okay. You well, know what I mean? Like you, you don't just like I, that would never in a million years occur to me. It would never in a million years occur to me that maybe I should just wear flip flops anywhere. Even even under extreme situations, I might I might wear them in a pool. I mean, I have flip flop wearers in my own family. Of course, so do I. And it's very um, 
it's very it's it's a source of a lot of inter intrafamilial f- strife here sure. at my house. Um, I keep finding flip flops and throwing them in the garbage, and then uh, members of my family are like, "Where are my flip flops?" And I go, "Beats me, maybe right. in the garbage, right where they belong." And, and they say, "Stop throwing my flip flops away." And I say, "Stop wearing flip flops. They're not appropriate footwear for anyone at any time, right? Unless you are." literally walking into the shower from the locker room. Right. Or, or maybe around the pool. Right. If you're if 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 you can touch water, you yeah. can wear flip-flops. Okay. All right, Dan, that's but, a good but, law. but you can't it can't be water in a water cup. It has to be a, some kind of body of water, a pool, maybe a very large pond, an ocean. I support all of the I support that rule. Not a bathtub. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, all right, you're right. Not a bathtub. It's got to be. It it can be a shower. I don't know if it's a public bath, if it's a, or if it's some kind of spa. Yeah, that's bath. that's fine, but that's for sanitary purposes. You're wearing them now in a situation where being barefoot would be acceptable, but it is disgusting to you. I see. So there if it is. if if you say I'm I'm I just worked out and now I'm going to shower before going to work. Would it be okay to have bare feet in a shower? Yes. Would it be okay to have bare feet in a public shower? No. What kind of shoes can I wear in a public shower? Flip-flops. And then as soon as you are dried off, those are off of your feet and into your locker or bag or whatever. That And, and that's it. There's no wearing them out of the building. There's no wearing them home. Definitely not wearing them to the office or the airport. My daughter wants to wear them all the time. And anytime... My wife will see. Yeah, I, I told her she could wear them. I'm like, yeah, she's gonna need socks where we're going. She's like, oh, you're just going to. Th- yeah, she's gonna need socks. <laughs> well, she didn't bring any. No, I'm holding a pair from uh, for her right she's, now. She's gonna need some socks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I am against socks and sandals, of course, because I'm a because I'm a person with any standards. But I would rather socks and sandals than just bare feet and sandals. Yeah, no, she's putting the socks on so she can put her little sneakers on or her ballet shoes or whatever she wants to, boots or cow, cowboy, cowgirl boots. Yeah. She's not wearing, I don't, I will not take her somewhere with flip-flops on. Now, if we're going to the neighborhood pool, there's a little pool in our neighborhood. I'll, I'll allow her to wear them for that, of course. But we're just going from, we're getting into the car. We're driving because it's a big neighborhood. So like you got to drive to this thing. So you drive over to it. She'll get out, walk from the car into the pool area, take them off, go into the pool, back out, on, flip-flops on, into the car, back home, flip-flops off. That's the most. And that I feel a little, I feel like it's, it's okay. But people wear these like, and even I do have a pair of sandals. And I, generally speaking, I, I have on, uh, as a test, worn them on a day where I was going to be outside all of the day and like not going in places like, you know, someone invites you to, to uh, have a cookout or something. I feel like that's pushing your luck on, on sandals and what you could do with sandals. I would never wear sandals to, to an office. You know, I just, that seems wrong. I would never fly with just sandals on. I think part of, part of it is, you know, there's this whole culture now of of young people dressing up fancy, like people used to dress. It's the mad men phenomenon that's sort of passed beyond mad men. 
you know, it's fancy, fancy dress. Uh, young men in suits. And, yeah. And, um, and I support it, uh, even though it's cosplay. Mm-hmm. Because it reflects an, a desire to to recognize and respect the act of appearing in public. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you are going to work, but that isn't just a drag. It's not. It shouldn't be a thing that you just like uh, regard as like this this com- completely. Um, valueless obligation that only brings you money. You know, you're, you're headed out the door. You're meeting other people. You're going to see a bunch of people today in the, in your, in your path. Right. Um, from here to there. And while you're there, you're going to interact with people. You're going to be at lunchtime out interacting with people. The whole thing is a kind of opportunity. I mean, you are on stage that entire time, whether you like it or not. Right. And to respect that, and to acknowledge it, I guess, and to say, like, I, I know there are lots of people that aren't interested in fashion. There are a lot of people that feel like, all you know, I just wear a black T-shirt every day and it solves that problem. But that even that is a recognition that there is a problem to solve, which is you're on stage today. Like you walk out of the house and if your uniform is black T-shirt, like right on, you are at least trying to navigate it. Um, but the but. To walk out of the house and feel like, and to be so self-centered as to feel that the world is you and you are carrying the world uh, unto oneself and everyone else is in their little bubble and, you know, um, and they're not, and their bubble doesn't touch yours. If you don't talk to somebody, then they can't see you is basically what it is. It's like the... It's like the, the, uh, a little infant's impermanence syndrome. And the fact isn't, the fact is that that's not true. You don't have to talk to somebody. They still see you. You're still like, you are interacting with people, whether you, whether you want to or not, as soon as you leave the house. And there's a lot to be said for, for understanding how important that is to for, uh, giving that proper respect that that interacting with other people which you're doing all the time is a thing worthy of respect right even if you only pay it a nominal amount of respect just acknowledging that it's true that it exists is you're on your way right um to you know as soon as you stop splashing mud on other people's pants you you have joined civilization a little bit more than, than you were as a child. And I feel like dressing up for work is, is a logical extension of that. And, and we have, it, we've made a lot of progress from a time when clothes were restrictive to the point that women couldn't work, for instance, or restrictive to the point that, um, you know, that, the the quality of the beaver that went into making your top hat determined where whether or not you would get into the the loge section at the opera mm-hmm. um and it what well, it didn't determine but it certainly signal, signaled 
Like if you feel like, like eliminating those things has made the world, uh, more, more equal and accessible. Like I can hear that theory. I, I, I respect it or respond to it, but, but, but somehow to extend that theory to a place where, um, we, we do not maintain uh, that feeling of obligation to one another to, to put a bow on it, you know, to, to walk out of the house and feel like at the, at the minimum, other people have to look at me and at a maximum, they have to smell me and touch me and, and, um, and walk past my desk 50 times today. And do I, what, you know, do, am I conscious of, of feeling, do I have, do I have empathy for them enough to make myself, uh, seem, I guess the word we use is professional, but like to, to, to look as though to look and, and carry myself as though I'm in a shared space, I guess, is what it, what it boils down to. Unless you are in your own basement with the doors locked and the windows down, you're in a shared space. If you're in your backyard with your stereo playing, it's a shared space. The air above your fence is communicating that that sound and it's a, it, and that idea that we're sh- that we share the space and have and that, that that we have commitments to one another it's um it's a thing we it's a thing we I can't say we've lost but we are we are it is draining out the bottom of this of this pool we're living in and I don't know what I don't know what's going to be, what's going to remain when it's gone. 